Last Tuesday night at about 11 o'clock, Pam and I began to haul out garbage and junk out to the curb for pickup by waste management on Wednesday morning. We had a lot of stuff this time because we've been cleaning out our basement, and basements are the places where junk multiplies. You know that. We don't put it there, but it just grows somehow. It's down there. And we had a garage sale, and so the stuff that wasn't sold and the stuff that we didn't give to Goodwill or to the city mission, then we're hauling out to the, the curb. One of the things that we're hauling out from the backyard was an old heavy grill. Uh, it's an old grill. It's rusted. Most of the, the heating elements where the flames come out are all rusted and not much is coming out. And, and it has these, on one side, at one end it has these really big plastic wheels make it easy to roll, but they've disintegrated and so the wheels are gone. Uh, at one point, one of the wheels had disintegrated, and to cook hot dogs, I couldn't put them like you normally do on the grill where you get those really nice brown stripes on them. I had to put them in between the grates because otherwise they'd all roll down and have a convention at the end. They just kind of roll down. So it was about time to get rid of this, so Pam and I struggled to, to drag that thing across the grass and finally get it up to the front at the curb. One of the other things that we pulled up and brought out was a really nice, pretty-looking flat-screen TV that doesn't get power to the picture, and I've had the TV doctor there, and he said, it's DOA. There's nothing you can do about it. It's cheaper to go buy a new one. Thank you, Samsung. And so, so I carried this TV out and laid it at the curb, and, and while we're doing this, Pam says, you know, some of this stuff's not even going to be seen by waste management. I said, what do you mean? She said, you watch. So about 11.15, 11.20, we're putting, I'm putting the rest of it on the pile and balancing it all there so waste management can have it. And sure enough, I see a car go by. It stops. It backs up. It goes around the block, and it parks about 25 yards away from our house. It is a car stalker. <laughs> so I, I wait outside, and he, he doesn't get out of the car. So I go in the house, and I say, Pam, come here, come here, come here. So we go in the front bedroom with the lights out, and I said, watch. So the guy gets out of the car and he does this. <laughs> and he slowly makes his way, like it's just casual on to 11 o'clock at night to walk around the neighborhood. So he gets, he gets to the pile of stuff and he just kind of glances and then he starts digging and he finds some old tools and an old rug and then he spots the TV. And without hesitation, he picks up the TV and hauls it back to his car. He comes back, he finds the instruction manual. I'm, I'm telling you, it's not going to work. I don't care how many instruction manuals got. The thing has no power to the picture. It takes a few more things. And then, to our amazement, he starts hauling the grill down the street. It's dragging on the asphalt all the way down. He gets it to his medium-sized sedan, opens up the trunk, and somehow we watch as he gets it in the trunk. Pam leans over to me, she says, and I don't know why, we were whispering. I don't know why, because we're in our house. <laughs> she said, you should go help him. <laughs> so the guy's stealing our stuff. I said, obviously, you don't know the junk stalker's code. This, this is sacred. You do this in privacy. Besides that, my shoes are off. I'm not going out there. And so he hauled off the stuff. So I've been contemplating since Tuesday night this thought. How often do I drag away the junk that a broken culture leaves on the curb? The stuff that, 
that does not ignite my passion. There's no flame. The stuff that I think I can, I can carry, but as time goes on, it really gets too heavy for me. The stuff that has no power to give me a better picture of the future. How often do I carry that stuff around? There is a movie that's just been released this weekend. I haven't seen it, so I can't tell you to go see it or not see it, but I've seen the trailer. The movie is called The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And there's this great dialogue that takes place in the trailer. And, and the girl, the major character, says this. Why do I and everyone I love pick people who treat us like we're nothing? And his response is this. We accept the love we think we deserve. I think we accept the junk we think we deserve. And to that, Jesus said, no. Not my intention at all. And so he says this, and you'll find, you'll find these on your notes in your service folder. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot or receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. And when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Incredible words. So here's our problem. I think we have a tendency to drag around a life that has no power to give us the picture God wants to see, wants us to see that is our future, that is even our now. So we feel like we're abandoned to deal with poverty. And we, we get this sense of, oh, that's all I'll get, that's, this is all I'll be. I'm not going to amount much past what I am. We grab hold of loneliness and we say, and they won't really care for me, and I don't, they're not going to want to hang out with me, and I've felt so much rejection. I'll just put these walls around me and I'll stay this way. I asked an official that served this region several years back when he left office. I said, will you give me from your view and working with this area? Describe Erie. And he gave me one word. Hopeless. He said, the people I deal with don't think anything better is going to come along. And so we say, well, God's just not in this place, so I'll just grab this junk and I'll drag it to my home and this will be my life. And Jesus said, no. For I'm giving you an advocate, a comforter. The Greek word is parakletos, 
one who comes to the aid of another and walks beside them, even if they have to help lift them so that they can get where they need to go. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who is going to show you how to walk this life that God has designed for you and help you see the beauty and the magnitude of the life he's planned for you. Way beyond the junk that you carry. So Jesus said, I'm going to send to you another Paracletos, another comforter, another advocate. Well, well, wait a minute, another? There's one? Ever since Jesus showed up, showed up in the broken world, this broken world, he said the kingdom of heaven is here now. Heaven and earth are intersecting now. What heaven wants to do on earth is happening now. Jesus said, I'm bringing that to you. And so what is that? What is the kingdom of heaven? I think one of the most beautiful pictures of the kingdom of heaven, what it intends to do on earth, is told by the story when Jesus said, a son went to his father and said, I want my inheritance now, give it to me. And he treats his father rudely, takes his stuff and leaves. And so, in fact, his actions were so intensely wrong that if he would come back, they could stone him. He leaves, he messes up, he loses everything, and he, he lives in this broken world. And in that broken world where everything has gone wrong, he says, well, at least I could go back and be a slave in my father's house. I'll go back there. And so he hauls his junk back home. And while he was afar a, a off, it says the father saw him. He ran to him, and before the son could even give him his spiel about, I just want to be your slave, I just have this picture of him embracing the son and twirling him around and saying, put a robe on him because he's still family. Put a ring on his finger because he still has authority in my home. And put sandals on his feet because he is not a slave anymore to the things that had held him in bondage. And go get that cow and kill it because we're going to have a roast and it's going to be a fun party because I'm so happy that which is lost has come home. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here because I want you to know, he said, that I'm bringing you back to the family and I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you the authority that I had designed from the very beginning that you would be the representatives of a very loving and an authoritative dominion on earth, that you would serve and rule in my stead, that you'd be my image on this earth. I still have that plan for you. And you are no longer a slave to the stuff that you've been hauling around. And you will live in celebration for you were lost and now you're found. So Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. And that word another doesn't mean a lesser degree. It means just like me because it is me. It is my spirit. I'm sending him to you. And he has been around you already influencing you and now he is going to be inside of you. In fact, he said, and don't miss it, he said, if I rise, which I will, then understand that I'm in my father and you are in me and my spirit is in you, and we're all together. And so because of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep my commands, my prescriptives, the way that heaven operates on earth. Live that way, because you don't belong to this earth anymore. You belong to my kingdom. So here's, here's how I live, and I'll tell you how I live. Now you live out the way that I live. These are my commandments. Live those things out. In fact, he says, I want you to keep them. That word keep 
actually means a fortress where you keep valuables. It's like Fort Knox. I want you to keep the lifestyle that I've shown you and taught you and keep it safe and follow it through. Live it the way that I've designed for you to live it. And my Holy Spirit in that process will give you the energy to accomplish that and tell you why. He'll give you the picture of why this is so important. You trust me. Anybody in this room last year or this year, you're planning on it, have been to an NFL game? Anybody? Yeah. Tom Matta, you've been to an NFL game. And by the way, welcome home from serving our troops. You weren't serving with the troops, but you were serving our troops. Thank you. So you've been to an NFL game. Are, are you in the NFL? Oh, you're not, in, you're not in the NFL. Who's your team? Steelers. Steelers. Okay, Browns fans, you can yell too. Go ahead for your team. Browns. Bills. <laughs> and I know there's one Lions fan. Let's hear it. Right there. Okay. So, you, you, Eagles, sorry. Oh, the Eagles, okay. 49ers, all right, thank you. All right, let's get this. All right, we're going to stop with that. So you've been in a game, but you're not in the NFL. But you're a Steeler. No. You're not a Steeler. No. Then what are you? I'm a fan. You're a fan. Why aren't you a player? I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. <laughs> okay, so if you were a player, or if you were good enough, then in addition to being a player, what else would you have to do to actually play on the team? You, you just show up. Oh, you have to practice. You'd have to get in shape. You'd, you'd, have, to, you'd have to fight Palomalo for his position. No. No. But you don't do that because you're... So you just sit there. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> so here's the deal. Jesus said, I don't need fans. You just can't show up on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and go, Woo, Jesus! Woo! Terrible towel. Woo, Jesus. He said, if you're going to follow me, if, if I'm in my Father and, and you are in me and my Spirit's in you, you can't be a fan. You've got to be a player. Which means I've shown you how to play. You know, I know the Steelers this year got a new offensive offensive coach, and, and he's brought in a new way to play, and Roethlisberger's just crazy about it. Yeah, just crazy. And so he's having to learn how to play, because if he doesn't play that way, he's not on the team. Jesus said, I've given you these prescriptives, and if you just look at them and go, oh, Jesus, good one, good one, then you're not on the team. But if I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and my Spirit's in you, then you've got to carry this out and live the way that I live, because you're a player. So you've got to discipline yourself, and you've got, you've got to train yourself to live this life. So hear me clearly. You cannot follow Jesus and be a fan. To follow Jesus, you've got to elevate your game. You've got to work it out. Pastor Jason has this, this great phrase. He, in fact, he used it in a devotional with the staff this week. He calls it leveling up. It means letting go of the junk in life that you want to hang on to to be a fan. Let it go and elevate yourself up to this spot where you're a player. 
And he says, I give you the Holy Spirit to make you a player. You got to level up. Paul's saying, when you feel abandoned, level up. For you that are really good about keeping your notes, that's your first point. When abandoned, level up. Because here's what's going to happen. James says in James 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature, be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, we hold on to our junky attitudes and our behaviors, and it blinds us to the picture that God has for us. He said, if you want to see the picture that God has for your life, then you have to persevere. Perseverance means that when you say, where's God in all of this? I did the thing I'm supposed to do, and I don't see the thing I'm supposed to get. I'm working hard for God, and I'm just, and, and life's falling apart around me. I lost my job, and I've got bills due I can't pay. Where is God in this? Paul says, persevere. You persevere and keep pushing through, level up, follow the guidance that Jesus has given you, the way to live on earth as it is in heaven, follow that through because the Holy Spirit will give you the picture. In fact, he says this, if you persevere, you will become mature. And I think what that means is this, that mature people have this ability to see the finished product. I know I can't see it now, and it doesn't look very good, but I, I see it over there, so I'll keep working that way. Even though this is difficult, I'm going to keep going because I know, I know, I know what God said. I know we're going to get there. I know this thing. Mature people keep plowing ahead. They persevere. He says, I give you my Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you. That word truth means that which was once concealed and now brought into the open. So that when I've decided that I'm going to continue to persevere, the Holy Spirit says, let me show you some truth about where you're headed. This was concealed to you before, but now I reveal it to you because you're persevering. But you would have never seen it unless you persevered. Some of you today are ready to give up. Don't do it. Persevere because you're about to see what God has planned for you. Don't stop. We will see the love of God beyond our painful present or our present pain. You'll see it. We will see Jesus in our crisis. You stay with it. You'll see Jesus there. When I think of seeing Jesus in the crisis, I flip back to the, the scriptures in the Old Testament where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down to a foreign god. They said, okay, we're going to throw you in this really hot furnace. They throw them in, bound up, and when Nebuchadnezzar looks back in the king, he says, how many people we throw in there? So we threw in three. He says, I see four. And one of them looks like the son of the gods. It was Jesus. And the only thing that happened to them is that the ropes got burned off and, and everything that was binding them was gone and there wasn't even a smell of smoke on them and they walked out. I'm going to tell you that in your crisis, God has a plan. If you will keep persevering and living as Jesus designed for you to live, you will see. You will see Jesus in that. And what he wants for you will come to pass. So Jesus said, if, if I die and rise again, which I'm going to do, then you need to rethink your, your assumption about the end. Because you thought that I died and that was it, but I came back. So you think that in this thing that you're involved in, that you're not going to make it through. Oh, rethink it because you're going to come out okay because I have put my spirit in you. That resurrection power will bring you up at the end. 
I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to help level you up. Now grab hold. Keep Jesus' commandments even when feeling abandoned. Grab hold. Let me show you how that works. Stephen was one of those people who became part of the church in the first century. Stephen was one of those you'd say that he really was the temple of the Holy Spirit because the guy had leveled up. He was really living this, the way that Jesus wanted to live. And because of that, he was arrested and falsely accused of blaspheming Moses and God, which is punishable by death. In first century Judaism, there were three pillars of piety. The first was the Holy Land. The second was the Holy Torah. The third one was the Holy Temple. These were the places where heaven and earth connected. And those are the places that were hold sa held sacred. And Stephen is saying, no, wait a minute. God's changing that. And this is what transpired. Acts, the sixth chapter. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of what? An angel. Even as they accuse Stephen of degrading that place where heaven and earth intersect, they're watching it happen in his face. Heaven and earth are intersecting at that very place, at that moment. Stephen then begins to tell them what they're seeing because he says this, you think that the only place that God can show up is at the temple, the Torah, and the Holy Land. And he begins to rehearse to them the other places that God showed up. In essence, he's saying, wherever God interacts with his people, that is Holy Land. And that we should continue to walk with God because he will make other holy places for us as we process with him. He says this, the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that Jesus is that place now where heaven and earth intersect and that we should enter in with him and follow Jesus. But you are as stubborn as your fathers were. They killed the prophets and you killed the son of righteousness. And then the most amazing power to picture takes place. The story continues, Acts 7, verse 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. The witness's job was this. They would rush the blasphemer and the witnesses would knock him off his feet and then they would begin the stoning process. So when Stephen said, I see the Son of Man, and they knew he meant Jesus, in God's presence, but not only in God's presence, standing at the right hand of God, the right hand being the place of intimacy and authority, they said enough's enough. Stephen was radically recasting the Jewish life to make Jesus rather than the temple and the Torah 
and the land the center of worship, saying that Jesus now is the center of worship. And they said, you've got to die for this. Now, what's amazing about all of this is that as he is dying, as he is being stoned, as this is happening to him, he says this, into your hands I commit my spirit. And do not hold this against them. Please forgive them. The very things Jesus said on the cross. For not only did Stephen live as Jesus lived, he died as Jesus died. So wouldn't you think that somebody who's doing exactly what Jesus said they should do, which is, is to declare Jesus in Jerusalem, don't you think that, that God should protect them? Don't you think that God should, should bless them? How are you today, Stephen? I'm blessed. Don't you think that, that you should give him a, a Mercedes chariot? Don't you think that, that, that his kids should get scholarships to Jerusalem University? Don't you think he should get a, a really nice three-story house on the lake? But this doesn't turn out very good. But wait, who are we to say what is good? So I'm not declaring this is prophetic, but let me just tell you my thoughts. In fact, I'm doing that right now, so you can't stop me. <laughs> I really truly believe, looking where we are now and what may transpire in the days to come, that it's going to be impossible to embrace the comforts of the culture and follow Jesus at the same time. So that we get to the spot when things get really bad or we lose something or it's not happening the way we want it to and we lose our comfort, we say, oh, God, where are you? God never intended to be found in our comfort. God intended for us to find comfort in him. And he said, I will send you my comforter who will give you a picture in what you are involved in at that moment so that you can see the picture as you're persevering and you'll say, I see. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. The proper posture for a witness in the first century is standing. To witness in a court of law or a religious court, you stand. So Stephen is being falsely accused, and he calls for vindication from a higher court. And his vindicator, his advocate, his paraclete, his comforter is Jesus. And he's standing at the Father's right hand defending Stephen. And as Stephen is confessing Christ to men, Christ is confessing Stephen to God. say, but oh, it just seems like such a waste. What Stephen's friends didn't understand at that moment is that because that there was this heaven and earth interaction at that moment, there was this transformative power being released that would shape and change another man who would have an impact on the world. For Acts 7, verse 58 says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we now know is Paul the Apostle. 
what we see is real dictates how we act now. If we think Jesus is alive now, then we've got to live for his kingdom now. How do we do that? When disillusioned, build up. All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading this week about Stephen, and to be honest with you, I look at Stephen and I look at me and I go, how do I get to that place? How, how would I be that way? How, how, could I, how could I persevere what he just persevered in? I still whine when I don't get my chipotle mayo with my tuna. I want a little sign. I want one of those electronic signs on the back of my car so that when people are being idiots behind me when they're driving, I want to let them know that God thinks they're idiots. I just want one of those. And when a young couple say to me, we've just lost at birth our twin boys, it's not fair. Pam and I comfort them. And then in the privacy of my prayer time, I say, God, what's the deal? You could have saved them. So I wonder, I need a better picture. I think that's why Jude, a follower of Jesus in the first century, and it was kind of intense to be a follower of Jesus in the first century, he writes this for us, Jude 20. But your dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in this most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our master, Jesus Christ. This is the unending life. This is the real life. So he says, I want you to take this posture. I want you to let go of the junk. Let it go. You're down here and you're dragging the stuff of life and you've got your poverty mentality and you've got your loneliness and you've got the hopelessness. I want you to let go of that and I want you to level up. Get up here. And I want you to be where Jesus' love is and I want you to raise your hands to him and say, okay, I'm letting go of everything. I'm ready for your mercy. I gotta have your mercy. And then he said, I want you to do this. I want you to pray in the spirit. Somebody goes, oh, I mean speaking in tongues. It, that includes that. If you, if you have tongues as part of your, your discipline, then you pray that, but it's more than that. It is a habitual, continuous, active interaction with the Holy Spirit. It is me very aware of the Spirit of God within me because I am in the temple of the Holy Spirit as you are if you're a follower of Jesus. And so I have to be aware of what's happening inside of me. And so here's how I do this in my own disciplines. First of all, I try every day because I have to do this. I try every day to get to a spot where I can turn on some worship music and join with that music in expressing to God my adoration for him because he inhabits the praises of his people. Some of you do that on the way to work. You've got the music blaring, you're singing with it, and everybody thinks you're crazy that passes you. Just don't raise your hands. Keep them on the wheel. And so I worship, and then, and then I take the Holy Scriptures because 
The Holy Spirit authored them, and they are to energize me. And the fact that it's called the sword of the Spirit, it gives me, it gives me power. And so I read the Holy Scriptures, and I say, oh, that's, yeah, what, oh, what does that mean? And, okay, this applies to me. And the Spirit of God saying, rise right here, right here. And so then I have this little journal thing that I'm writing down so I won't forget it because I can look back to my journal and go, oh, yeah, he said that, he said that, he said that, he said that to me. Because, you see, here that's called the Logos, the written Word of God. But when it comes from here to here, it's called the rhema, God speaking to me directly about it. And so I write that stuff down, and I, say, and I pray over it. I say, oh, God, you're telling me to do this. You're telling me to do that. And, and, and so I'm going to try this. Holy Spirit, make me aware of, of what's going on. And meantime, the Holy Spirit says, hey, that junk you're dragging, I want to expose it because it's no good for you. Let it go. The attitude you've got, you've got to let go of that thing. Yeah, but I've had it so long, I like it. I said, no, you've got to let it go. And it ends with me saying, okay, Holy Spirit, and I asked you to do this last week, to do this all week long, I'm available. I'm available for you to speak to me. I'm available for you to speak through me. I'm available to whatever you want to do. Holy Spirit, guide me because I'm leveling up here and I'm going to build myself up in my almost holy faith. So Spirit of God, build me up. See, if I don't soak in the Holy Spirit, I become dry. My, my dad, who has been a great follower of Jesus, used to use this phrase. He said, you always give off what you're soaked in, especially when you get squeezed. So if I don't soak in the Holy Spirit, if I just think coming on Sunday morning is going to cover it for me, i got problems. Because what happens is I lose my faith. I lose my confidence. I lose my energy. And I start reaching for the junk, saying, okay, i got to have this. And I lose the picture. I want to propose to you that when we don't see Jesus in our issues and our tough moments, we haven't interacted with him long enough. Because I know this, that when I interact with the Spirit long enough, he either gives me new understanding of the issue or he gives me new understanding of God. And either way, I come up peaceful because I got a better picture. When Jesus said, you shall receive the Spirit and you'll become witnesses, it really means this, that no matter what the circumstance is, I can say, oh, I see Jesus in that. I see Jesus in that. I still see Jesus in that. Those witnesses saying, I can see Jesus in that. Because of that, he said, your witnesses, not on the sidelines. You're not saying hey, I know you're having a tough time, but if you look around, you'll see Jesus in that. You will. You'll see Jesus. I promise you, you'll see Jesus. No, he said, I'm going to put you in the pain that they're in also so that as you're feeling it, you can say to them, I still see Jesus. I'm still walking through it with you. That's why the scripture says that you can give comfort to others with the same comfort you've received. Which means, wait, 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 that means I've got to feel some pain. Yeah, that's why you got to persevere because it's there. But as you persevere, others will say, what are you doing? You say, oh, I see Jesus in this. He's going to get us through this. It's going to happen. Our daughter Natalie runs marathons. And she's just fast. So she was running in the Marine Corps half marathon. And our son Dustin was running it too. And Natalie is much faster than Dustin. So Natalie crosses the finish line. You know what she does? 
She turns around and runs back against the flow. And she finds Dustin. And she says, keep going. I've seen the finish line. You're not too far away. Come on. And she keeps running. Come on, you can do better than that. And she's running with him. And she goes by other people going, finish line's just up here. Seen it, been there. And she encourages all these people across the finish line because she's been there. Parakletos, comforter. That when someone is hurting, you go to them and say, hey, I've been there. I'm walking with you through that. I have felt the pain and the finish line is right there. I see the picture. I see it. You'll get there. I'll go with you. Let's go. God never created his church. Jesus never builds his church to be a safe, comfortable place away from all the pain of the world. He created his church to infiltrate the pain and say, I feel it too, but I see the end. Here's the picture. That's being a witness. Esther on Kim is a witness. She was living in Korea during the invasion of Japan, the occupation of Japan in World War II. And because she's a follower of Jesus, she would not stop at every corner shrine and pay tribute because she just believed in Jesus and she knew that would get her in prison. In fact, in her I'm availability to God and to the Holy Spirit, I'm available, she understood that she was being told, you're going to end up in prison. She didn't whine about it. She didn't say, don't put me there. She said, I know. So here's what she did. She trained herself for prison. She would look for decayed food, rotten food, and eat it because she knew that was what she would get in prison. She memorized over 100 chapters of the Bible because she knows she knew that she wouldn't get her Bible. And she memorized a bunch of hymns so that she could sing them and have a theological base through those songs. She spent days fasting and praying so that she would have a better understanding of the Scripture so she could describe those to the people she was with. And she fasted and prayed so that she could overcome her fear of torture. Because she was going to be a witness. She spent six years in prison. Her cellmates were murderers, hardened criminals, outcasts. And here's what they said. They said, Esther, in this dark place, we see a light. Because where you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit resides, heaven and earth intersect. They said, oh, we see Jesus. Oh, we, see, we see a light in her. She was in a great encouragement to them. Because this is the truth. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you see Jesus in your tough times. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus sees you in your tough times. That's why Paul wrote these words. Romans 8.11, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead life. With the spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. And that's the truth. So, 
your assignment. Let go of the junk. See it as it is. Level up. Build up. And today and every day, stand before God with your arms open wide and say, Holy Spirit, I'm available to live that kind of life. That's being a witness. That's being full of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand? So can we do something that's uncomfortable for some of you? Yes, we can. Thank you. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you with me to raise your hands up. And whether it's out loud or inside of you, I want you just to say to him, I'm available. I want to level up. And I'm going to build myself up in my most holy faith and begin to practice praying in the Spirit. And then let that be the beginning of a pattern for you the rest of this week. You good with that? Okay. Let's raise our hands. And so, Father, here we are, lifting our hands to you, letting go of the junk of our life, and we're saying, we're going to level up. We're going to grab hold of your truth, and we're going to live that out. We're going we're to keep going. We're going to persevere. Holy Spirit, show us the picture. Not only show us how, but show us why. And every day, we're going to do our best to remind ourselves that we're available to you. So this week, we're available to you that if you want us to pray for somebody, we're going to pray for them. We're available if you want us to, to talk about our faith in you, we're going to talk about our faith in you. If we just need to embrace somebody who needs to be comforted, we're going to do that. If you want us to go hang out with the outcasts, even though others turn against us, we'll go do that. We've come to be your image, your voice, your authority. So we declare to you one more time, I'm available. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.